Welcome to the Parenting with Impact podcast with your hosts, Elaine Taylor-Klaus and Diane Dempster, co-creators of ImpactParents.com, an online community, award-winning blog, and service organization, helping parents all over the world to raise complex kids become capable, independent adults. Hi, everyone. Elaine and Diane here. And we know that you want your complex kids to grow up to be happy and independent. And yet you're not always sure how or when to help with that. In this podcast, we'll encourage you to collaborate with all kinds of complex kids and support them in navigating life and learning. And we'll interview leading experts from around the world, as well as parents in our own community, talking about how training for parents actually helps these complex kids. We'll talk about the issues we hear parents struggling with all the time and how a coach approach can support and empower your amazing young people. We won't tell you what to do. We're going to help you figure out how. So let's move on to the next conversation. Welcome back, everybody, to another conversation in the Parenting with Impact podcast. You have Diana Lane here today. And Yay. we're going to continue our conversation that we started after the International Conference on ADHD in November, December. I can't um, believe it was like back in November. Isn't that I crazy? Hard to believe. <laughs> and it's already January when we're recording this. I'm like, right. my head is so, spinning. The last podcast we did on this was, I think, podcast 88, where we talked about emotional stuff that we learned, emotional conversations that happened at the conference. Today, we're going to talk about tech conferences, technology-related, not conferences, technology-related issues that we talked about at the conference. I think that what we said was that there was a couple of big buckets of stuff that really caught our attention. And one was the whole emotional regulation that we talked about last time. And this time, we're going to talk about the other one, which is technology and just all the different, there's all kinds of lenses of this. So you're going to walk us through some notes yep. and then we're going to talk generally. Cause it didn't, so. I didn't learn it if I didn't take notes. So, okay. <laughs> and I can't so, find my notes, total transparency. I went to two presentations on this topic and just full disclosure. Part of the reason I did is because this is one of the number one issues that parents come to us with all of the time, all the time. Right. I was just talking to a couple this morning. It's like the only issue they have is screen use for a 12 year old. And so it's really, really common. And we're going to talk about some strategies and and suggestions that we have for how to manage it later. But I want to just kind of set the stage with some of what I learned at the conference. So the first presentation I went to was by Jeremy Edge. It was called Helping Those Stuck in the Web understanding and treating those with problematic gaming, social media, pornography, and general screen use. So already a lot. Yeah. Um, And what was really interesting is that, and so he's talking about the impact that screens have on people with ADHD and related issues. And, you know, we all know that, you know, technology gives us dopamine hits. Most of us have learned this by now, that part of what's happening when people are using screens is that all of these games and apps, everything's designed to leave us wanting more and have us coming back for more. So there's a lot of a lot of tendency for those of us with complex issues to be seeking input from here because we get positive reinforcement. We get dopamine and it feels good. Right. So that's the foundation to all of this. And it keeps you, and it's the perpetuation of it, right? It's this sort of. Right. Has you wanting more, right? It has you wanting more and it's designed. This is the other thing I remember from that workshop. It's like, it's just designed to keep you going. I remember really distinctly in, in gaming world for a slight distraction, there was this shift in gaming. I don't remember when it was, but it's like from the levels, like it's this kids used to be, it's like, okay, I'm level 43. And then they got rid of all the levels because that meant the kids, the kids kept going. There was no kind of natural stop when they got to the end of a level. Right. So there's this 
perpetuation that also has gone in as the gaming technology companies have gotten smarter about how do I keep you engaged keep with you my going. game. Well, I was, yeah. thinking, I was reading a book recently that didn't, that has these long chapters and there's kind of no end. And at some point I'm at night, at night, I'm like, I want this chapter to stop so I can go to bed. Right. Right. And so it's kind of the same thing. Um, okay. So I'm going to give you a little information from, from Jeremy Edge, screens and ADHD. First of all, he said there is a correlation between screen use, excessive gaming and severe ADHD. And he didn't say there's a causation, there's a correlation. Uh, He talked a little bit about what qualifies as a behavioral addiction. And he said, there's a constant craving and you really can't stop. And, you know, what we experience a lot is that parents will come to us and say, my kid's addicted. And very often our kids are not addicted. In fact, more often than not, they're not addicted. It's not a true addiction. It just feels like it because there is that craving for it and they struggle with stopping. But the definition here of a behavioral addiction is you really can't stop. Well, and I think that the other piece of it is a lot of times if you go back to addiction models, they'll say that, you know, it's they're making choices where this is it becomes the most important thing in their life. It's like they would rather do that than anything else. And this is the challenge, because if you look at the behavior on the face of it, it looks like it matches that definition. But we also know that with the right supports, with the right parental collaboration, you can move these kids off of it effectively. It's just because we don't know what to do to help that it looks like they're stuck and it's the only thing they want to do. And it's the only thing they can do. And it feels like an addiction. Right. So so most of you should know that 90% of the time, your kids are not struggling with a real full-blown addiction and it feels that way. And we understand why. And so we're going to address some of that. What we, we're going to teach. We're going to tell you what to do about it, regardless of whether it's an addiction or well, <laughs> we're going to start. We'll help you with it. Right. I think that the thing that I would just say one more thing about addiction, Elaine, is that yeah. the if it's a perspective shift, if I look at my child's gaming as an addiction, I'm going to handle it very differently than if I see that my kid is having a really hard time balancing life, transitioning off of technology, having, you know, whatever the thing is that we want to change, I'm going to look at it very differently. And I'm likely to get really scared and freak out and controlling if I think my kid is addicted um, and want to send them off to some treatment program, which may may or may not be a a good support, but you know, that it's a mindset. Most of you, it it will not be. Most of you do not need to send your kid to a treatment program for Technology addiction. Technology addiction. And anyway, okay. So the next thing he went through, and this was probably the most useful information for me, was that there are four types of screen use. He identified one as productive screen use. That's school, research, YouTube, talking to your grandparents on FaceTime, right? Productive screen use. And we have to remember when we have that tendency to demonize technology, that there is a use for it that's been really productive in our lives. I mean, you're listening to this because of technology. We have an entire ability to support parents all over the globe because of technology. So there is a productive realm to it. And we want to not forget that. Okay. So that's one. The second was entertainment and that's games, streaming, again, YouTube, but a different kind of YouTube, right? But that's for entertainment purposes. The third is social. And that's Snapchat, Discord, Instagram. Um, I would add texting in there, you know, group chats, that kind of thing. And then the fourth is is erotic. That's porn and sexting. And we're not going to talk about that a lot today. He didn't talk about that a lot. We're talking about kids. We're going to assume that if if you've got a kid who's dealing with some of those issues, and, and I think it's fair 
to say with access to the internet that a lot of our kids have had more exposure to it at a younger age than we did, but, yeah. but that is not today's conversation. And if, and if it feels like there's a real need to talk about it, let us know and we'll try to yeah, find Yeah, we can absolutely we can, talk about we it. We're going to do an episode about that. Right. Okay. So productive entertainment, social and erotic, and we're going to really focus on entertainment and social today. Then he got into a discussion of the three types of games. And this was also super interesting. He said, there's the escaper, the achiever and the hardcore gamer. Okay. The escaper is the people who are the kids who are looking for a storyline. It's often very visual. There's a lot of impulsive actions to take. This is a tendency kids with lower self-esteem tend to lean towards escaper kinds of activities in video games. And also, I would say creatives, kids who who like that storyline, who are looking, Minecraft would fall under a creator space well, or under the an other, escaper. Yeah, I was just say the other thing about an escaper is an escaper might be somebody yeah. with a social skills issue. I think you kind of alluded to this. It's the sort of if I can hide behind an avatar when I'm playing, mm-hmm. I can I can be more of myself because I'm you know it's it's kind of I remember my kiddo like having all these special wraps yes. and costumes well, and stuff like that that he that his that his game characters would use and it was kind of it was part of how he a persona a, yeah a persona he created for himself it's an online version of cosplay right yeah so it's like we used to call it make-believe right or or dress up they're still doing that they're just doing it virtually in a different way and sometimes at conferences and that kind of thing so escaper is one kind of gamer the achiever is another the achiever is is out there to win they're trying to hit the next level, hit the next level, beat their friends, best, be the best, get their personal best. Um, these kids are more likely to have highest self-esteem than low self-esteem. Interesting. And then there's the hardcore gamers, who is the combination of escapers and achievers. It, it becomes an impediment or a problem when there are cognitive distortions, this is what Diane was alluding to earlier, broken relationships, impulse control issues, when it becomes a financial burden, when, you know, when we get a call from a parent that says, my kids just charged thousands of dollars, they've got my credit card and charged thousands of dollars. A one-time concern about that wouldn't be, one-time indication of that wouldn't be a huge cause for, for huge bells, but multiple times, you know, if they keep doing it, that's a problem. So the hardcore gamers have a, are more likely to move into that addiction realm and have a harder time. It's impacting their regular life in terms of how they see things, in terms of their impact on relationships, um, financial, et cetera. The one thing we'll we'll have to get the link to this, Diane. He played that I thought was super, super interesting. He played a little piece by there's a big gamer named Tyler Ninja Blevins. And he's got a he's a podcaster, he's made millions doing yeah. you know online social media presence kinds of stuff with gaming. He games and people watch. And I know our generation can't understand that, but their generation loves that. And he's got a message. We'll get a link to it about for kids about stay in school and how important it is to stay in school. And well, and I think that this is this is a whole other segue. Gosh, Elaine, we could talk about so many different things in this. But one of the things that I loved about Tyler's message was that and the challenges that kids will watch somebody like Tyler, who literally makes millions of dollars gaming and we're tapping into the human desire to have your vocation match your interests, 
Right. Yeah. And so that, I mean, everybody who wouldn't want to make a huge amount of money doing something you love to do. Right. And That's so right. you watch kids and they look at people like Tyler or everybody else. And it's like this sort of, Oh my gosh, I could, you know, it's, it's the same sort of thing. I remember one of my unnamed kids when they were in middle school, like wanted to be Britney, right? It's just sort of, they were convinced that they were going to be unnamed. like a pop star, right? <laughs> and this is really kind of no different, but it's this, there's two parts of it is one is magical thinking, several parts of this magical thinking, which our kids tend to have more of. Two is this idea that I just introduced, which is who wouldn't want to make a living doing something they're passionate about? And three is a sort of what we what we do when we hear our kids say stuff like that, which is we squelch them down and say, oh, you can't do that. Nobody can make money. You know, it's like this sort of we tend to try to flip them because none of us really want our kids to be professional gamers. And so we want to try to point them a different direction or we don't think they can be. Right. Well, and that's it's such it's such a good point, because on the other hand, in our realm of complex kids, we're always saying play to their strengths. Right. Cultivate their interests. Cultivate like who would have thought my kid would be a professional. I was going to say you, you have <laughs> a kid who's a professional Lord actor. Knows, I was right? not encouraging them in that direction. But, you know, there is on the one hand, we all these kids who think they're going to be the next ninja aren't. But on the other hand, my child has friends all the time who are getting jobs doing cartooning for Disney and and for, you know, like online this like somebody has to get those jobs. There. Right. There are industries out there and if you, but they, most of these people are, are prepared. They've been trained. They've done something other than playing video games. And so we want to create that whole well-rounded person. Well, which takes us to one of our tips early intervention here, but it's, it's this sort of knowing what it is about your kid, which kind of gamer are they? What do they love about gaming, which can help you to say, okay, my kid really loves competition. My kid really loves creating. My kid really loves, you know, it's this sort of, you can look and see what their strength is instead of just being able to look at it and go, oh, my kid, my kid loves gaming. And we throw that in the no bucket and then we, right. And then we move on instead of trying to figure out what it is that, where's our kid's strength in this, right? Yeah. Getting curious is so important because my kids are all strategy kids. They love the games because of the strategy. And you know what, that is a good critical thinking skill to cultivate, Right. right? I have a kid who's now a studio art major. He was totally into Minecraft when he was eight and 10 years old. He was creating worlds. He's still creating worlds. He's just doing it in a different format. And he's used lots of different formats over the way, years. So not demonizing is one of the yep. things we wanted to talk about. We're coming back to that. But also really playing to their strengths, seeing, getting curious about what it is about the technology, the game, the the activity that they're doing that they're into so if they're doing social stuff are they talking to their friends are they interested in fashion are they like what is going on for them get curious and I know I know it's hard but sometimes it's like brain numbing and you don't want to do it but if you can lean into really getting openly curious not judgy curious but real curious kind of like real calm um, with your kids about What's in it for them? What do they love about it? And that will change your ability to be in conversation with them. What do you say? Well, and just even sometimes it's just about listening to them. It's funny because like my gamer was over for dinner the other night and it was just them and me. And it was this conversation, some new release. And I like had to walk me through the entire game and how it worked and why it was the way it was. And was it good and was it not? And it was like, I mean, I got 15 minutes about some game that I'm, I don't even remember the name of it. I'm sorry, honey. But okay. I, <laughs> Find out. We'll put it in the show notes. Okay? Yeah. 
Right. Okay. So one other presentation I went to, I, I and I went to it interestingly because I spent some time in, in the halls talking to this woman long enough where I'm like, okay, I'm curious what she has to say. And so I went to her presentation. She's a professor at Baylor. It's I'm going to mess up her name, but it's Idora Onigu Otite, I think is how you pronounce it. I'm not sure. And she did a, a conversation about ADHD and electronics, the game life balance. Okay, which is what we all want, right? And so she started off talking about internet gaming disorder, and she gave a lot of statistics, which I won't be able to capture all of here. She explained that in the DSM in 2013-2014, they started changing how we talk about gaming disorder. It was the first time it became a disorder. So similar to what we heard from Jeremy Edge, there's when there's a, a preoccupation with it, loss of other interests, uh, when there's a tolerance for escaping negative moods by by going there excessively, but a tolerance withdrawal, like not able to tolerate other things when it's beginning to interfere with relationships. Again, same thing we heard from, from Jeremy Edge. Um, and when it's hard to control, um, maybe that could also look like deceiving others on the amount of time spent on the game, like family members. Well, but that sounds like all of our people, Elaine, but, do, so I, but you said this earlier, our kids don't all have internet gaming disorder, right? No, those are, those are the extreme examples, right? So, so I guess it has to do with a, a provider can tell you, a diagnosing provider can tell you, is it crossing a threshold of, of disorder well, or and, and I got to be really careful here because this is a new diagnosis and I'm really confident that not all diagnosing providers have the detail on what is or isn't a problem here to accurately diagnose. That may be true. It's I mean, so this new. is so yeah. new that there's not a lot yeah. of education, kind of like ADHD. I mean, we're yeah. decades into it and most providers don't know a lot about it. So, and then something about impaired control over gaming, significant impairment. So she talked about mild, moderate, and severe. And to be sure that we're not, we tend to lump everything into severe and that's that's pretty, pretty rare considerably. She does say that with e-games, there's a lot of problem because it's so lucrative. The industry is so powerful and it's like 30% of the market. And a lot of kids are now getting jobs in this industry. And so it's distracting from school. So that was one of the concerns. She did say, everybody hear this because it's really important. Gaming is has offers more good than bad. Hmm. Everybody hear that? Gaming offers more good than bad. It's a form of cognitive exercise. And this is a, I believe she's a psychologist or a psychiatrist. So, so it, it's a form of cognitive exercise, but some games are better than others. And she said, some games are actually better than no games. Hmm. So that notion that we should just eliminate it from a kid's diet electronic diet, technology diet, whatever you want to call it, is actually not what she's recommended. She's saying you want to have some games because it's really good cognitive development and you want them to be on par with their peers. It's when it becomes too much that it's a problem. Well, and not only that, but it's just like the flashback I just had. I think I've told this story on, I don't know if it's another podcast, but the story is like when my parents, my dad's a dentist and when my parents wouldn't let me have candy, I was like, sneaking off to the there you go five and dime on Saturdays with every penny I'd get because nobody had candy in the house right it's just sort of yeah if if you if you like shut down the the desire is different than if you ultimately what we really want we want these kids to have healthy relationships with technology because look I'm Elaine you're using your phone I'm using my phone we're using the computer I mean we've got to figure out how to be healthy about this eventually 
It's not going away, guys. Sorry. No, no, it's not. And, and we don't really want it to. Well, and, and we and kind don't of, want it to. This is our entire business. <laughs> yeah, no, this is. Well, and tying these two together, one of the things, just going back to the first guy, because I wasn't okay, in the one. But I do want to get, I want to get through some more data. So do you want to? Oh, okay. Yeah, go, go ahead. Okay. A few more things. She did talk about the importance of being aware of gaming in vulnerable populations. She said that 10% or lower actually have a gaming disorder. She said in the U.S., it's about 2 to 5% of those are kids. So that's pretty low, right? The 2% overall. 2 to 5% in the U.S. are kids of 10% the 10% who are, actually have a gaming okay. disorder. The diagnosis happens when there's a lag between problematic between the gaming problem and problematic behavior. I didn't, I don't quite get that. Sorry. She showed this long video of a five-year-old with video, video addiction and how much time he was spending and, and what the impact was. And there was conversation with him and with his mom. And that was, it was interesting to sort of show when a kid had that insight after treatment, but this is a kid who was spending literally 10 hours a day on the game, nine hours of sleep and five hours with his family. So, and he said, I can't function when he reached the point where he said, I can't function without some type of electronic. I just shut down without my phone. And that was his insight once he was in treatment. A couple other quick things. She, she cautioned against sudden removal of technology and played some song lyrics that were kind of funny from uh, if those of you of our generation may remember UB 40 song, red, red wine, but there have been some situations where people have had violent re reactions to having technology taken away. And so if you have a consideration that you have a child in your, or a person in your midst, because it's more likely to be an adult with gaming disorder or with a electronic disorder, you don't want to just summarily remove it. You want to move into the process of, of learning how to manage it. Um, otherwise it's almost like if you uh, liken it to, uh, alcohol, if you take away alcohol with, with a serious alcoholic, they're going to go into DTs yeah. and you can get a similar kind of reaction with, with technology. So you definitely want to be, be cautious of it. And so she's, she's recommending you not just eliminate technology. If you have a concern, seek out conversation with a, with a provider, especially if there's any propensity towards aggression in a child when removing technology. Um, and I'll stop with that. That was a good summary. Well, and it is funny. Great conversation. Like yeah, the couple of things, but uh, the place that I want to go first is that the first workshop, and I and I think she did as well. When we we're talking about kind of the what to do about it, right? Mm -hmm. The the thing that he said was he he get the suggestions he gave were solutions that require executive function skills, right? It's this yes. sort of manage your time, be aware of your, you know, it's like, this all this sort of stuff that I was like, and I actually stood up I in the, in the workshop. A annoyed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I stood up in the workshop and I was like, okay, so we're talking about people with ADHD here. They don't have the executive function skills, you know, how to, how you, you can't just say what to do here. Yeah. Just start doing it. But the important thing for me, when we're talking about kids is takes us back to the fact that these kids don't have the skills yet expecting them to be able to just get off their technology or know how long they've been on or all these things that require executive function, especially when they're hyper-focused on something. I mean, this plays back to Elaine, the role we have as a parent to either accommodate the executive function skills if they don't have it or teach the executive function skills 
or, you know, it's like this sort of, we have to have a role in the process and not just expect our kids to, if they can't do it on their own, then they can't do it, which is a lot of times what we'll do it as parents. It's like, well, he can't self-manage. So until he can self-manage, then he doesn't get to do it at all. Right. right. And that's not, not effective. And well, it's not realistic. Things, I think she talked about, maybe not, but I can't remember anymore, but the notion that that when we give our t- kids these technologies, and often we are giving them these technologies, it's a ripe opportunity to have some conscious conversation and collaboration with them around what's expected, what's not, what's the consequence going to be, what are the accountabilities. I mean, I'm going back years when when my kids were were young like 20 years ago, but we had an re- agreement with a timer by the computer and they had a certain amount of time. And I remember it, the deal was if I come by and the timer's not on, you're off the computer and, and I'm sorry. And that because we had a system we all agreed to, I got to be compassionate with my kid and say, I'm so sorry. What will help you remember to turn the timer on next time? Well, and, and that's so, the important uh, piece of it, right? right? It's this in, sort of... Instead of, see, you should have turned the timer on. Right. That was not going to be constructive. But but if we can enroll them in collaborating with us, I think that's the key we really want to hit here. Well, it's that. And and go and listen to our podcast on effective agreements. I see parents do this all the time where they'll say, "Okay, the deal is one hour. And, you know, two hours later, the parent comes in and the kid's still on the computer and they're like, "Okay, yep, you're off the computer for the rest of the month because you couldn't reach the agreement. And we've got to we've got to set our kids up. Part of this is getting them to agree in the first place and really partnering with them. Elaine, I don't know that you said this, Yeah, partnering with them to set the agreement because your perspective of, of how much time they should have and their perspective of how much time they should have may be really far away from each other. And if that's the case, you're going to eliminate conflict by actually acknowledging, wow, you think you should be able to do it for 20 hours a week, a day, I think that you should only be able to do is it for an hour. How do we find a number that's closer to each other rather than no, you can only have an hour, right? What can we agree to? And then when are we going to check back in and how are we going to handle it when, when there's well, and a, how do we, and how do you, how, and how, what do you need to be successful? The thing you were discussing, it wasn't about your rule was not about them being off. Your rule mm-hmm. was about them using the timer that's right. to help facilitate I mean, I'm sure that accountability was to the process, not the outcome, which we talk about all the time, because, I mean, I could come in and tell them to get off the computer. That wasn't going to help them. But if I help set the expectation that that you have a time limit, that you know you have a time, that you set the timer, if I could get them into that process, that was going to do more to help them long-term self-manage, or at least I hoped it would. Maybe it Well, and you said you use that language. <laughs> yeah. You use the language, learn to self-manage, right? It's a mm-hmm. sort of, we need to set our kids up for success and not just expect that they're going to have the skills to self-manage or even adhere to an agreement that they've agreed to. Right. Um, if they don't agree to it, to uh, if they don't adhere to an agreement they've agreed to, right? So we were we said we wanted to talk about boundaries and the need to focus on collaboration, right? right. If they aren't, if they're struggling with adhering to an agreement, let's look at it. First of all, that piece they're struggling to adhere to it. It's not that they won't or they didn't or they're being rude or disrespectful. If they're having a hard time getting themselves off the screen when they agreed to we're going to use this example, then that's an opportunity to fail forward. Well, what part worked? What part didn't work? How are we going to do it differently? So that you're problem solving with them and holding them accountable to how do I get myself to get off 
instead of just holding them accountable to the outcome when you didn't hit the measure, the metric, say you're out of here. Well, and I think that that's it, the, you're out of here. I think that the, mm-hmm. the other thing we wanted to talk about is that a lot of times with things like this, because it's so charged, because it's not easy, a lot of times technology seems to be one of those areas that parents tend to go into director mode. They yeah. either, I, I see parents all the time, they'll say, my kids aren't allowed to have technology on weeknights. My kids can only have one out. You know, it's like this sort of, there's this boundary setting or rule setting. I'm going to use that language instead of agreement setting yeah. because we don't know how to fix it. We're like, okay, so I know I can't, I can't demonize it, but I'm going to control it as tightly as I can because I don't like it. And so then when our kids aren't successful, we use that as an excuse to go, Whoop, great. Now I don't have to worry about it. I can just take it away for the week. You know, I was talking to this couple this morning and they said, and I wrote it down because it was so accurate. They said, we don't really want to be top down, but we tend to be kind of top down director for back because we don't have a better way to do it. Right. We don't have another way to do it yet. And I would add the word yet, right? This this was somebody I was meeting for the first time. And so there are a lot of things that, that we teach that help you learn how to put these, these boundaries in place collaboratively, but it takes a little time. Well, that's the thing I was going to say, Elaine. A lot of times we don't, we don't have the patience, right? It's mm-hmm. this sort of, if I told you that if you worked on this for a month, you could come to an effective agreement, you might approach this very differently than if you're like, we had an agreement and it didn't work. So I'm going back to directing. Right. Exactly. Which is what we tend to do because we're afraid. Okay. I can't, I can't spend a month with my kid not doing their homework and they're doing technology instead. I mean, it's just the idea that it might take a while gets scary for us and rightfully so. Yeah. All right. So it's been about half an hour. How do we we wrap up this conversation? We talked about addiction a little bit. We talked about the tendency to direct, talked about collaboration, and we talked about not demonizing. We covered everything that was on our list, right? I think we did pretty well, right? Yeah. Um, And the other thing I would would like to add is I want to normalize technology use as... If you saw your kid on the phone, similarly to the way you saw the clothes on the floor or the towel Mm -hmm. on the floor or not brushing their teeth or any other challenging behavior, self-management behavior, you're trying to help them learn to manage. If you take away the fear of, oh, my God, technology and just treat it as just another matter of fact, kind of one of those things you're trying to help them learn. What's possible for you in terms of being able to collaborate with your kid? What's available? Well, I'm laughing because I was like, I can imagine my kid is addicted to not hanging up their towel. No, that's my not- kid is definitely addicted to not putting his clothes in the hamper. No question. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. What I was going to say is there's a lot of great resources on our website. We've done some, we did some tea and tips around technology use and getting your kids off of technology. There's some cool stuff out there. We'll put and, links for you for sure. And this is, this is probably one of those places where if you're having a hard time between directing and your kid being able to do something that they agree to, this is a really great place to get some more personalized support because mm-hmm. it's yeah. about how do I, how do I get my kid into collaboration? How do I set an effective agreement I mean, all of these things are really a place where most of us could use a little bit more handholding because if it was easy, we would have done it a long time ago. Well, what I said to this couple this morning and, and you know, occasionally I'll say something. I'm like, oh, that was good. This was a good one. Was okay. that we're staring down the barrel of an opportunity. 
Mm. Ooh, I like that. The thing about, see, wasn't that good? The thing about, about this whole technology thing is that we have this fear, like we're staring down the barrel, right? But it's really, there's a huge opportunity because the other thing about technology is our kids really do want it. And when they have something they really want, parents will always say, I don't want anything other than his phone. Well, that's fine. Let's figure that's out great. how to use the phone to help him learn to do all kinds of other things. Right. Yeah. So awesome. Yeah. Anything else? No, this is, we could talk about this all day. We've already, we already kind of have. So. Thanks for being <laughs> with us. A, one more thing, and I'll put a link to it. We did a digital summit a couple of years ago. So if you want to do a deeper dive on this, we did like amazing series of interviews right at the beginning of COVID on this topic with leading experts. We created this extraordinary resource guide. Um, well, and there's a bundle. Actually, on, on I was going to say, page. I'll put a link. Yeah, I was gonna say there's a bundle we have with with our tips, with the guide, with the recordings. It's a great, great bundle. Yeah, I'll put it in there. All right, everybody have a great week. We'll see you next time. Thanks for everything you're doing for yourself and your kids. At the end of the day, you make a difference. You've been listening to the Parenting with Impact podcast with Elaine and Diane. For more information on the Impact Parents community or to join Sanity School for Parents, please visit impactparents.com. If you like what you've heard, please share this podcast with friends who need similar guidance and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For the essentials of Elaine and Diane's coach approach to parenting, download a free tip sheet at impactparents.com slash podcast. Behavior therapy training for parents is actually recommended as a first-line treatment for complex kids. For information about Sanity School, our training program for parents or teachers, which has helped thousands of families around the globe, visit impactparents.com slash sanity school. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.